0: welcome to the rpg design Panelcast. we bring you the very best recorded panels workshops and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing this has been made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and double exposure with their leading game design convention metatopia Episode 81, Cinematic Mechanics, recorded at Metatopia 2015, presented by Will Heinmerch.
1: tell you to wait because there are certain parts of this that I want to be able to, try to get through and when I timed it it timed out fine but I have a tendency to talk faster and slower as we go and we're starting a little late so uh, uh, questions may come at the end but please be ready um, uh, my name is Will March. I'm a writer graphic designer game designer narrative designer in uh, tabletop um, fiction some video game work uh, comics things like that um, <coughs> the the uh, uh, Nature of this is focusing, of course, on RPGs. So, depending on what your interest level is, uh, you. Oh, I'm, I'm so close. Um, uh, questions, though, are welcome to any of the various tabletop uh, LARPs and any other uh, areas where this stuff might come into play. Um, uh, the cinema plays is uh, uh, not just about cinematic influences on tabletop RPG, yellow. We're going to talk a lot about craft, playcraft. Uh, but it's also about design, how we reinforce uh, playcraft with design and uh, uh, what it is that we're communicating both to the players and what the players are communicating between each other um, and how we've helped facilitate that to a certain extent, but so we're going to examine some assumptions, we're going to examine some presumptions we're going to change some, hopefully, of our assumptions and build up a little bit of language that we can use to talk more about how we uh, adapt influences to actual play um, this shot, of course uh, this is the, one of the opening shots of Blade Runner. Um, uh, but it's also like an eye taking in a sight, which is to be fairly important. But has anybody, by the way, so there are a couple of moves I might spoil. And I want to double check that I can do that. Can I spoil Jaws? We good, right? Yep. Okay, because there's a bit I will talk about Jaws. And uh, uh, has everybody seen Blade Runner? Or is it at least culturally right, communicative in Blade Runner that if I would say replicants are cool. you haven't seen um, it now, it's
0: probably your fault. <laughs> 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 well, well,
1: people there. are busy, and, you know, there's stuff it's to do. 20
0: years busy? <laughs> well, some people are. Depends. Some of us, now. some of our,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Also, there's like five Blade Runners to see. That is true. So <laughs> yeah. there's five cuts of it. Yeah. Uh, this is a shot from Blade Runner. Uh, this is one of the uh, 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 noir kind of style, futuristic opening shots, right, where not only is it um, the, the now very near future... Where apparently we still smoke cigarettes indoors, um, uh, but this is a view of the future from the, from the '80s, and this is where we're going to immediately start part of our audience participation section, which is this: uh, What is so? What is the scene for? What is supposed to happen in this scene? Do we think. What is the vibe here? Like if this was, if you wanted to establish this shot in your RPG, what would you call out? What details would you single out for your players? Anybody? Hands the um, antique-looking fan hanging over a computer. Right? So immediately contrasts and comparisons, yeah? The smoking man. Smoking man, right? We know so that we're, no, we're not alone in this room. I was going to say the smell is stale smell. Right, but you go to smell, too, right? Awesome, yeah. So we have not just these visual cues. Yeah. Uh, so the man is, is back to you, right? You're coming into the office, and the man has his back to you. He's waiting. He's smoking a cigarette, so he's obviously there to... He's waiting on you, right? Something is going to be right, right. gonna happen there. That sets up. And he's also standing, he's not seated, so that establishes that he's got a little bit of power dynamic. right? And there's a computer monitor set for you, so you're gonna go, something with that computer monitor is gonna happen. Check the computer monitor? Got it, Okay, yeah. So where do you start? Did you did you I mean obviously we're reacting a little bit to right answers that come before us and stuff, but this image showed us a bunch of all that in one take, in one shot, right? And uh, the description, we have to decide what order that information is going to come out in. And we, we've heard information that does not at all come across in this picture, right? Like, we don't know, is the camera representing a person in this shot, right? It's maybe too soon to say, maybe, maybe, right? So that, that relationship to the character is completely apt, but that's, an, that's a thing that we're talking about what the, somebody in the scene might feel based on those relationships. That's something that the camera can do or undo, or if you will let me use the word misdo, um, uh, 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 to the audience in a way that that behaves differently than the way we would do it with an RPG, right? The smell of smoke. We can intuit that this room would smell like smoke. Certainly looks like it, right? It's like the haze in the room and everything. But we not we don't have smell vision in the theater, <laughs> so all we get is uh, uh, our associations with the the, the textures and the atmosphere. We're 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 putting a lot of that into the image, and some of that comes from uh, the the just the core nature of the way that we read or the way that we take in media. From the fact that almost none of us, I think, probably take in one form of media, right? How many of us have seen a movie? How many of us have read a book? Comics, okay, great. Anyway. Um so when you when you're reading one, you're also kind of interpreting through the other stuff that you know, and it's not like you're just watching. Whatever your first movie is, that movie is not made necessarily to be somebody's first movie, right? There's a lot of a- a- assumptions, which is either we know that this camera trick works because it's been working for 45 years, or We know that this shot will set up the scare because every horror movie has used this shot for a decade, and then I'm going to use it for a different purpose. Um, So expectation, the conversation that you're in with the filmmaker is not just about this one movie. It's not that you, 45 minutes into a movie, only know the things that you've seen in the first 45 minutes of this movie. You're aware of every other movie you've seen before, and the director, or the cinematographer, or the marketing department are oftentimes riffing on things that they assume you already know as well from having seen other movies, right? uh, uh. but so it's something like this where we have the, the, the color palette is in play we have the the atmosphere that comes across uh, both in texture and in uh, uh, the, the juxtaposition of modern and kind of antiquated elements there's a lot that we can interpret like if I don't know anything about noir, this doesn't say noir to me and there's a lot of things that I might be projecting onto this image if I'm a noir fan that it doesn't want me to project onto it, or that it doesn't care if I do, that it's not important and this comes up lots of times there's a great book um, called What We See When We Read uh, by Peter Mendelssohn. I think I cut the quote from it because it was too long, but it'll come up a couple of times. Which is, But it's about, um, who's got a, a favorite novel, for example, that we might have all heard? Mine's like or Every have Romance Neuromancer all. Yeah. Good Omens. Good Omens. Okay, great. Um, boy, that's actually a tricky one because of the number of characters in it. But it's, uh, 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 who, who, who's a character in that that you particularly attach to that you really like? Um
0: my like book, and I can't remember his name, but the, 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 the angel.
1: Sure. Okay, yeah. So uh, on the angelic head, right? And what does
0: the angel look like? Uh, what does like that character it's, like? He's like a, a clean-dressed, well-dressed gentleman. You know, he's, he's well-read. Uh, he likes the simple life. He likes to, to sit in his library and read. Right. And this is what I love about that
1: answer is not only that it's evocative, but that it is exactly the way that when, uh, in what we see when we read when we ask these questions, like, what is, uh, what is case like the Neuromancer, Right. Or what is uh, 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 Huck Finn like? And we say, you know, so what do they look like? We get off of visuals almost immediately, right? So we have this well-dressed suit, and then we talk about what they're like. Not necessarily their appearance, but how we can feel or interpret or arrive at how their appearance interacts with us as the reader. Um, and so there's a great quote in the in the book, which is where uh, they're talking about um, a boxer character. I'm going to forget. It's from the, uh, not the Steinbeck, but the, uh, uh, anyway. Um. But they're talking about a, a, a character in a novel, it's, one, it's, it's, a, character, it's a novel with like four characters, really, right? And they're like, oh, well, he's big, he doesn't know how to carry himself, and he's always bumping into stuff, But what does he look like, right? And the thing is, you don't really necessarily know. Like, if you go, uh, uh, what does Anna Karenina look like? And you say, oh, well, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the Tolstoy mentions the ears and the eyes, and all of a sudden, you go, does she have a nose? And, oh, I never thought about it, right? But it's not weird until you think about it. Of course she has a nose. Right, you assume that she had a nose, but you don't, you're like, what kind of nose is she? Oh, well, I don't know, it's just, you know, my end is nose, and my uh, uh, and the, 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 the eyebrows that uh, my, uh, uh, my mother's mother had, or whatever, right? You, you realize that you have these weird conglomerates, and the more you try to lock them down, the weirder they feel like, and the less kind of organic it necessarily is. This is a weird hybrid where in movies a lot of this stuff is locked in, right? George Clooney looks like George Clooney in this movie, not this movie, in any, you know, whatever the movie is. Harrison Ford looks like Harrison Ford in Blade Runner, not like Harrison Ford in Raiders. Or Harrison Ford in American Graffiti. Um, so we all see the same Harrison Ford, but we also, some of us are like, oh yeah, he reminds me of my Uncle Earl. I don't know your Uncle Earl, so he's not having that effect for me. So there's a constant refraction going on in every image and story that we're getting, which is that even though in a movie we kind of all see the same Harrison Ford, we're also not necessarily receiving the same Harrison Ford. And that's especially profound. We see this in novels all the time, but that happens at the game table constantly because there are multiple, if you will, novelists, multiple actors, multiple writers, multiple directors happening at the same time. So one of the things we have to kind of reconcile and be, and be respectful of, I think, is that when I say you walk in and there's a, there's a guy in a suit and he's smoking and he's got his back to us, we didn't, we didn't see this. No matter how good you are in description, first of all, you had to do it in order. You had to take the order in which that information came out. And still, we got five different images for each of the five players at the table. And that's fine. Because it overlapped enough that we could communicate about the rest of the story and, talk, and somebody could reference the cigarette smell. And we could talk about the fan. And we could be, oh, well, I'll we'll use the computer. But we like the, the height of this character, or and until they move, right? the height of this character is both inconsistent and probably irrelevant. Somebody would go, oh, well, he's tall. Well, okay, my tall is different if Somebody else tall, or whatever. Um, and so we so often get into how characters move. And this is important to notions of like how we interpret uh, uh, the motion into our actions, motion into uh, play, and the way that we describe characters in an RPG versus when we kind of actually start engaging with that character. So, for example, the difference between, so what's your character like at the beginning of an RPG? And you list a visual description off the sheet. But I don't start getting a feel for your character until I see them act a few times. Right? We start understanding what they're like. So a character is less like their just physical uh, uh, qualities and is more like the rules by which they will make their decisions and, and take their actions. And that those processes are more interesting, to me at least. Um, this is a, a, a shot by Roger Deakins, who's a great cinematographer. And this is a, an example that I use that in the theater, this frame is not rectangular. Right, This is like a, a, a kind of, uh, it's actually also still cropped here from a wider shot So he was shooting very mm-hmm. wide. But the way that the, the, the image is composed, even though on the one hand we always have the same rectangle to work with in any one movie, not in movie to movie, right, but in any one film, generally maintains the same aspect ratio. Uh, depending on what you light and what you show and where you're putting the action, this frame, we're getting some of the negativity, the, the sense of isolation off both sides, but the frame is kind of, it's rectangular in the screen here, but in the in the blackness of the movie theater, it's the face and the candle on the wall, and the rectangle is not relevant, right? The shape, the angle of the face here on the side is changing the edge of that frame. The, uh, 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 the wall itself causes the sort of left edge of the image to be in from where it is. So it's almost like a smaller frame inside of a larger frame. Uh, and it could be um, uh, uh, isolating, it could be about anticipation. There's lots of reasons that we reframe a, a shot or light or unlight a shot. But this is an example where something that is consistent and continuous and is presumably the same as part of the medium of film is constantly being revised and tweaked with even in film. When we take something like this and we say somebody goes and and the character goes and blows out the candle in a game, even if I were to describe this shot almost exactly, I'm probably not going to say, and we're only using part of the frame and the light follows the face this way, right? I mean, I might what I'm trying to go for in the shot, but I might also describe this from the perspective of the character blowing out the candle. I have all of these tools, uh, and so do you, that we can use about perspective and point of view throughout that shot to explain the action and convey what's going on in this bit. Uh, this shot is also uh, part of a, a really great uh, uh, moment where because the it's shot by natural light, when the the candle goes out, the character disappears, and the ember of the, of the wick is all that's left. Right, So that moment that transition, that shift, is kind of what the, 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 the scene is about. And if I'm describing it rather than showing it to you in cinema, I might go from, uh, uh, they blow out the candle and then there's just the ember of the wick. If I wanted that moment to, so the ember seems to hang in the air and glow until we move on. Right? In a movie, I have to hold that shot to do that. At the table, I can say, and we hold the shot for like five seconds. Well, does that, or whatever, right? You say, we, and we stay on it, and we stay on it, and we stay on it. I could draw it out Or I could just say, they draw it out. And they have different effects, but they are still two different tools that I have access to that a movie unfolds in time and has to actually unfold in time to do that. Right? If if the movie, if the director came in and said, and then imagine we held the shot for ten minutes. Right? That's kind of not, I mean, even though it's happening in a movie, it's not cinematic and it's not how the form is done. and so when we're talking about composition, one of the things we think about in film, that's important, right, foreground, middle ground, background. This is a shot from Barton Fink, also Roger Deakins. Barton here is in the foreground. The woman is in the middle ground. And then, of course, the background is a vast, empty, and open sea. Uh, and the, the the what's in focus in this, which is almost everything, is interesting because of how close it makes everything seem to one another. But it gives us this example of uh, uh, the composition that is something is close, something is sort of centered, and something is further off. It gives that background, which is obviously a combination we talk about, uh, we're in a setting, we're in a scene in the game, and we're just having a conversation. We describe the characters, we might describe the room, and then never describe the room again. We just say, we're back on the bridge, okay, we're back in the medical bay. Okay, we're back in the alley where the, where the, the, the dope dealer is, whatever it is, right? And we just are expected to recall that image, um, or recall that place. And we may or may not be, keep building on it. Uh, uh, and some of that I think is, is, I don't know if it's a habit, I don't want to say project where it comes from, but I know that for me, it's about making the most of time while we're playing. And I don't want to stop and uh, re-describe the whole thing. But all portrayal in RPGs as it is in novels, as it is in prose, unlike film, is accrual. cruel. Film can be instantaneous. You can get this shot, and now you have this shot. Once you see it, you've seen it. Right? And you can register it very, very quickly. And you don't have to stop and say, ah, that's in the background. This is the middle ground. This is the foreground. You just get it. It arrives to you. But to get some of this across, I have to describe all three of these layers if I want them to be present, and I have to decide where I'm going to start and where order I'm going to do it. in. do I say, okay, Barton, you're at the beach. Okay, now I've got the beach. And between you and the ocean, now I've got the ocean, is a woman just like the one that you saw in the photographs that you've been seeing in your dreams, and you're not sure if she's real or not or whatever I'm saying, right? But I can portray that in a way that I'm talking to Barton. But there's also the illusion, there's the element here that that is the camera present. Like, who's seeing this? Is this actually, an, is this the PC shot and I'm watching, pardon, watch this person? There are so many notions about where you want to place the camera in cinema is important, but where do we place it in the RPG? And h- watch how quickly, especially in, in the games that you might play throughout today or tomorrow, um, how swiftly and how easily we move cameras in and out of people's heads. That's, that's a fairly complicated thing to do in movies, to go from a POV shot to a non-POV shot without getting disoriented. There's a lot of tried and true tricks that make it work. But it's one of those things that you can screw that up still. We've been making movies a long time, right? You can still have somebody to go, wait, who, whose point of view am I in? Wait, where are we right now? Am I, does Bond know that this guy knows that? All those questions. Um, but we can smooth that stuff over in actual play because we're collaborative. We're all able to just talk and kind of break, not just the fourth wall, because there's a fourth wall, there's no audience, but we can stop and say, okay, the camera is above our heads. And we're looking down past the ceiling fan that spins between us and the table where the spies are laying out their plans. And then we just play the scene, whatever it is, right? Well, there is no camera, obviously, but we have the notion, and none of the players are up there. But in a movie, if you do that, it creates the uh, illusion either of objectivity or the illusion that maybe I'm waiting for somebody to reveal that they are above the spies in the scene. I don't know how literal the camera is. And you can use that tool to draw from cinematics to say, so the player might go, wait, is there anybody up there? Can, can we get up there? Can we get, is there a balcony? You go, no. You know, I mean, you would have to, like... You'd have to put, like, a fiber-optic cable or something in there and get a camera through there to actually get that shot. And the players are like, why would you tell us that? Right? And if, depending on the level of trust you have of what we know about what the game is about, it might that might be a hint, or I would argue that it shouldn't be for my style of play, because I don't want the players worrying about whether or not I'm messing with them. But there are games in which that might be apt for certain tables. Um, this is a similar notion of... This is from Children of Men, uh, foreground, middle-ground, background. Who here has... Um, so this is from the point of view, more or less, of the main character, Owen's character, Theo, in this movie, uh, talking to his cousin, and there is a lot of information in this scene, for starters, and in this shop, secondarily. Right? So the premise of this movie, and where we are by the time we get here, is we are in a uh, future where uh, uh, no human child has been born in you know, 28 years or something, and uh, uh, it appears that that's never going to happen again. We're never going to have kids again and uh, uh, the world is falling apart, and we are trying to move through it in uh, uh, a very clear and clean way. We just want to go down to Brighton or whatever and get on a boat. That's hard to do, so we need papers from our cousin Theo here. We need documents that will make it possible. So in theory, this is an old family meeting, and in theory, this is a, uh, uh, a business operation in which I need to convince this guy to give me the papers that I will use to get somebody safely out of the country. How many different... Like, how, what can we tell from the, the cousin character just from looking at this shot? Relative, right, we've got the gray of London. We've got his gray outfit. We've got all this gray and white. And then we've got his food, which is this bright color in the middle of the shot. Um, so, and it's a world, right, where things are falling apart. We don't know if or why we're making, like, what kinds of food anymore. Last person on the planet, turn off the light, that kind of stuff. But he's got this charcuterie and, and plated dishes up in his home at Battersea Station. Right? So there's a lot of context that we can get by looking at this or from the introductory shot when we drive in and, and uh, King Crimson plays in the soundtrack and everything. But if we want to do this in an RPG, we might front load that description and then just go on to play the scene. And I don't think that's doing justice to what we can do with the medium. We, we, we should always be building the environment, we should always be building the, the, the details of the characters and the operations of, of play because we we can also draw from knowledge, we can also draw from prose, and because it keeps things fresh and and alert to the reader. So I might start, or to the audience and the player and your collaborators, I might start by saying, by describing this play, because it's important to me to say, it's right in front of you, Theo, do you want to have some charcuterie? Or it might be important to me to portray this character. But if I drop in what is obviously a reference to Animus, the the, the album cover in here, right? Um, It's hard for me to do that without telling you it's a reference to something and you might Google it or whatever, it's a different medium, but I might still try to put that reference in there, which is of course what the big inflatable pig is about. But I may not know that that, that, that he's got a lighter on the table until one of the players wants a lighter or asks for it. It may not actually be pressed, Right? We're adding details, we're doing over time constantly in actual play. Uh, but there's the illusion that we establish a scene and then we play in that scene, when really the establishment doesn't stop until the scene stops. The depiction doesn't stop until the scene is over. Um, so we, there's, there isn't there isn't, I think, actually a, the phase where first we say what we're going to do and where we're going to do it, and then we do it. It can be a concept back and forth of action description, action reaction, reaction description, and, and so on. Um, uh, this is one that I'm just bringing as an example because it amuses me, right? So this is a, a GIF made from a shot in the Matrix. Um, is this a movie? I honestly don't know. Why, are gifts movies? Why not? I honestly <laughs> don't know. I'm not, this, is not a,
0: this is not a quiz. It's not film. It, I think, by definition of a movie, as in a moving picture, that it is. Well, except that so so a lot of movies shot digitally, so. But it's a, it's a picture that moves. So in the. But from the shots of the film. <laughs> so I don't know, right? So the question is, are GIFs movies? Like I think the answer, at least from my perspective, the answer is it depends on what part you're defining, right? And yes, it's a moving picture, but like a movie, as we understand, is usually telling a story, and has, like, distinct parts, whereas yes gifts usually don't, I think. There's a, a, the Sleeping Dunes National Lakeshore in Michigan,
1: um, it's got a DVD every year that, that they make out of just shots of people that have drive, driven <coughs> around the dunes and are showing off the beautiful scenery, and it's all moving pictures and it's shot handheld, and it looks really great, and it has no story, there's no voiceover, and there's almost no sound, and I'm like, it's cinematic. I don't know if it's cinema, right? But in that, that sim- has no story.
0: It's and it's a similar kind
1: of edge case. What's that? What's that? That's
0: like more on the documentary side, I think, as opposed to like a storytelling
1: movie. Right. Oh, but documentaries are still movies, right? Yeah, yeah. But there are all these edge cases where we get to the edges of like, so this, I think, probably isn't a movie. And I am I would sassily say that I'm not sure that the Sleeping Bear's National Lakeshore video is a movie. Um, it's, but It's like the point of context. Like, that is a snippet out of a larger work. And so when we just see a give, um, it's it's more up to us to I guess define a context than than when we watch a movie where you know there's more provided How? I mean, do, do movies require narrative? I don't know, right? I I, I think they I think no. But I think that they generally end up with one anyway because they're watched by humans. Right. <laughs> and we'll put it in there if we don't if it's not put in there for us. I agree. With you. <laughs> um, but the the, the 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 element why this is such an interesting case to me, for example, is that this is atmospheric. It arguably has an narrative. It's a one shot uh, little. Uh, if there were if this were a comic book, it would absolutely qualify as being a one panel of a comic that is doing its job narratively, even though we suspect it's for something larger. And so the point is that I think it gives its own medium. It's not a deeply narrative medium yet, at least, but it's more and more so all the time. But GIFs owe a lot and earn a lot and learn a lot from movies, but they don't owe anything to movies. Like, like for example, it doesn't owe that this figure has to move, the car doesn't have to, the taillights don't have to flash or anything. Um, what it's choosing to do is it, it does only what it wants to do. And it's like, oh, your narrative and your dialogue and the sound of a running car, I don't need any of that. It's a GIF. Leave it alone. Don't worry about it. Right. When we talk about cinematic RPGs and how we're going to use moving pictures or notions of motion in, in play, I think we want to be very conscious about, or very aware, of what we're importing and what we're not importing. What we owe fealty to and what we owe homage to, which is to say, we owe nothing to movies. We can be thankful of movies, but we are a separate medium. We can learn stuff from movies, but we are still a separate medium. Uh, uh, and so, we are not further or closer, I don't want to try to do like a giant Venn map of it, but um, Two movies than something else, but when we say, like, when we talk about structure or narrative structure, right, there's a lot of narrative structures that movies are borrowing from that we're inheriting third generation, or that we are, um, uh, that we are sometimes presuming, but don't have to actually owe any homage or fealty to, that we say, like the example we talked about earlier, actually, that was, uh, uh somebody brought up was, um, when a Bond villain monologues to give Bond a chance to escape, that could be a rule in your card game or your video game or your board game or whatever, and that could be interesting, but when one player turns to another and says, no, no, he can't kill us yet, he hasn't told us a secret plan. Unless it's a rule of the game, right? That's a, that's a house rule now. That's the thing you're doing. We don't owe that to the genre. Genre doesn't necessarily express that rule to us. We can make our own genre. Role-playing game is a genre in video games and a medium in role-playing games. Now, one thing that occurs is that in a movie, you have a scene and all of a sudden an element appears that wasn't established visually in the scene the viewer feels cheated because like they can lied to but in an RPG right I didn't even know that gun was in the room exactly yeah. but closer to a book no one would ever be like you know all of a sudden the villain pulls out a gun they would be like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. you didn't say anything about that wasn't on his list of inventory exactly I yeah. think <laughs> right cool place where we're It's an element toward the narrative book side, but obviously not. Right. And that's part of the accrual, right, is that gun was there the whole time, but it doesn't appear until it appears. Right. It doesn't have to be on a list of of items, and it doesn't have to be established in a movie, or it doesn't be established like it might be in a movie where, you know, first we see that John McClane wears his gun, and then later we know that he's got it or lost it or whatever. Right. So the question when we talk about things like composition and uh, 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 what's moving and what's still and what's framed the way it is, is composition to who? Composition, does it mean anything to the characters? Are we talking only about what the character sees? Or are we talking about things that we as the collaborators see and things that we as the collaborators who are each other's audiences see? And watch how often when you play, you can migrate your mental image, your cameras, in and out of people's heads, into places the cameras couldn't fit, get shots that would be impossible to get. Um, I mean, there are are examples of, uh, 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 there's a shot in Quitting the Dead where a guy um, gets shot and then sunlight passes through his bullet wound and that's how he knows he's been shot. Right? I don't know where the sun has to be for that to work, but cinematically it has an effect, and realism is not part of the, the equation. Um, but the shot, there's a shot that is like essentially from his point of view where he sees the sunlight the hole in his shack. And it's like um, we intuitively know that we are now inside his head and then we're outside of his head again as he reacts to it. And we move faster and more often, I think, in, the, in uh, uh, the various visual options that we have to work with at the game table than we even do in movies, because at the game table we can say, like, can I, from where I am, can I see this? Like, we have the five cameras operating in the PCs, and then we ask questions like, no, but the, the villain, the enemy, can see it because he's on the side of the tree, so now I have that camera. Or we have the map, which is showing us the, uh, uh, the objective notion of what is... Uh, uh, the objective space of the game, which is itself a whole other question, right? It has the notion of that there is objectivity, that there's a third-person narrator. Uh, the, you know, the, the whole notion with... Uh, uh, oh, don't do this to me.
0: You lost power
1: completely. Oh, really? Wow. Thank you, John. <laughs> um, the notion right there is, you have first-person narration, second-person narration... Oh, right, none of this is working now, is it? Uh, first-person narration, second-person narration... Um, reliable and unreliable narrators. Um, The, uh, uh, don't worry about it, John. Thanks, though. Um, uh, The notion that there are essentially the three different narration passages and three different narration points is pretty, uh, uh, useful. There's a, a great quote, which is that, um, the house of fiction has many windows, but only two doors first-person and third-person narration, because you can't really do second-person in fiction, which I, I don't know if it's true or not, but we do it all the time in RPGs. You see this, you do that, I do this, she sees that, all this stuff. Um, but there are also notions of like, what do we intuit as the most reliable narrator? Is it third-person omniscient? First-person honest with themselves? First-person not honest with themselves? Right, which, which voice is it that we can trust? And does your story change voices all the time? ordinarily writing a novel you want to pick you want to pick a tense pick a point of view pick a, uh, a kind of relationship to the reader reliable or not and then either honor it or slowly change it as part of your storytelling and then that's kind of what your novels do we change it constantly in game where my character does this and then i say this well the, the, or my character moves over here and then i'm all and then you speak speaking character and you're like but i don't really mean it that's a lot of information from a lot of perspectives that we're able to borrow because we are borrowing actively, clearly, and and, and uh, uh, honestly from movies, from fiction, from maybe poetry, if the character's reciting or, or referring to poetry in some way, um, song lyrics, whatever you got. Um, uh, I have to, there's a quote here I'm gonna read, for example, which is, uh, uh, as we're moving the camera around and we're getting all these different perspectives, there's a notion of, I think, there's a tension that we get with, with cinema, which is that what we see in cinema is, is a depiction. It's chosen for us in the audience, but at the game table, we are both the, the, the people who see it and the people who choose it, right? We are audience and actor. you are director and writer. We're doing all this stuff in tandem simultaneously. Uh, uh, Jean Renoir, the uh, son of the painter, who was a, a filmmaker um, during kind of the, the height of the studio era and was not so much blacklisted. as fired, sent back to France because his movies were bombing the States because of the different audiences. But he made giant movies um, for a time. uh, 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 But then he was a a big proponent of cinema verite. And he had a quote which was, uh, In the cinema at present, the camera has become a sort of god. You have a camera fixed on its tripod or crane, which is just like a heathen altar. About it are the high priests, the director, the cameraman, the assistants, who bring victims before the camera like burnt offerings and cast them into the flames. And the camera is there, immobile, or almost so. And when it does move, it follows patterns ordained only by the high priests. Not by those brought before it, um, which brings us to the notion of cinema verite, right? Which is that uh, uh, cinema verite, right, is where you go to a place and the camera doesn't know what's going to happen. The actors might, or it might be a documentary. It's the cinema of truth, right, uh, or true cinema. And it's the idea is that rather than setting up a shot and saying, "Okay, actors, this is the stage. Don't go past this line, or you'll be out of the camera," and you're not just playing on a stage for a camera, where the point is to show it to an audience that, for example, in our case, doesn't exist. We are all collaborators. We're all on stage. We're all behind the scenes at the same time that we're in front of the camera. Um, We have instead this notion that we create a fictional world that is real for the context of our made-up point of view, our made-up perspectives, our made-up cameras, our made-up microphones. And then we try to track that world in a way that seems honest and authentic and that is uh, realistic to some value of realism. So what it is is that we're saying that would never happen, or no, we've already established that there is a ceiling fan, we've established that there is a, a bar over here, I'm going to go to the bar, these sorts of things. But uh, uh, even if we uh, coin the phrase, which I would love to do, which is true play, which is to play, it's part of what to, is to play to find out what happens, it's where you try not to have the camera anticipate the action. So the camera isn't mandating that the Bond villain has to monologue, the camera goes, oh, he's talking, right? And he goes back to Bond and is like, oh, Bond's pissed. And it's not that the camera says, okay, Bond, go. It's that the characters are taking action, and our portrayal is chasing them around the game world. The characters are come first, the story is happening as it's there, and our portrayal is just, well, what if, I, what, if, what if I'm picturing it this way? And somebody else is, cool, I was picturing it over here. Well, we have no edit, we have no lock. There's no point where we stop and say, okay, but this is the only one that we get to see in the film. There's no film, right? We get to see all the different point of views, we get all the dailies, we get all the footage, and then we kind of edit together for ourselves this notion of wait, what just happened and how did we take in all of this footage at once and, and, and which which is incorporated into my version and incorporated into your version or your version of that final edit. But the idea that we are drawing it from a real world that is persistent and is happening whether we portray it or not, that we're skipping over scenes that actually occur. Okay, so they travel to, to Madrid and when they get to Madrid, that means that we're imagining that at some point these characters were on a plane or a train and they travel to Madrid. Um, in actual practice, right... There is no train. There is no plane. There is no Madrid. There is no character. There is no anything. We're all—it's all just a conversation that's happening. Um, and through that whole exchange, uh, uh, we play as if the game world were real, which is neat, and I think it's very effective. We try not to anticipate the action. We chase the, the, the characters around, um, and the portrayals follow what happens rather than staging what happens, right? And because we can have games where we have a, a prescribed director, and we say, in order to, to get through this monster and get through this dungeon, you have to do the following things. So there's still a certain amount of prescription that goes on. But in the actual practice, we are chasing around in response to the situation. And the portrayal is different from that. The dice say this happens. They don't say whether or not the camera has a, a blue gel on it when it happens. Right? That's portrayal. That's decisions we make. Uh, but decisions that capture, show, and reveal the truth beyond what might be uh, 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 scripted or prescribed, what might be the monster's stats or whatever, those are choices that we're making as as... as for lack of a better word, I mean, for, as artists, as people during, in the medium making the medium work. Um, and so that means that all the story that occurs is in a word emergent. And the portrayal is similarly emergent because we didn't sit down and say, I will do the following shots. What we do is we sit down and we follow what happens. Yeah. Your has got power again if you wanted. Oh, I wonder if they flip the switch. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, but the game world is not here. Right? It doesn't actually exist. And no matter how much we would like it to, the, the whole trick is to make it feel real and to make us care about it as if it were real. Um, but this is, uh, this is the important thing to me that's kind of a, a tricky thing. A camera is a depiction machine. Right? The point of a camera, whether it's a POV in a novel, whether it's a camera in uh, a, a film, whether it's a documentary camera, whether it's a still camera on your phone, uh, its purpose is to depict. To say, I pointed at a thing and that thing is now depicted in that frame the way I wanted it arranged. Depictions are, whether they're raw or polished, whether they're made with intention or not, whether you just flick the, flick the camera and you go, oh, I like that picture. I feel like it, it feels cozy or whatever. Um, they are portrayals, and one of the, the, the definitions of a portrayal is that it leaves things out. Because if it didn't, it would be the real thing. Uh, so portrayals are always they are always inaccurate, even if they're potentially honest. Uh, what you are showing is also what you are leaving out. So the fourth wall, right, in all the sitcom sets and the fourth wall that we talk about that your audience is seeing through, that's removed for the depiction of seeing the people inside a room with a camera, right? Or the fact that we never see the ceiling of the bar in Cheers. Or the fact the camera never moves around inside that space, or right? we never see the restrooms, or whatever it is. Um, so anytime we take a picture, it might be a complete picture from this position, but it's not showing you what's behind me, and it's not showing you who's taking the picture necessarily, Right? All of that stuff gets left out, and there are there are, are customs and traditions that we have for how we process what gets left out, but that's very different in cinema than it is in prose than it is in gameplay. Why are you showing that there's a, a, a lighter on the table if it's not going to come up? Well, because we're doing everything procedurally, we're doing it in accrual, the lighter doesn't even exist until we realize, oh, I need a lighter. Well, I have one. Bing! Lighter. Right? Uh, uh, but that's not an accurate portrayal of what happens. Not like the character summons a lighter from somewhere necessarily. It was there the whole time, so it's still inaccurate in its way. Um, but that's because realism isn't real, right? It's realistic. And for all that we talk about realism, I think when we talk about realism, there's no good word, unfortunately, substituted. Authenticity isn't the apt word either. But is that if it were, if it were, if it were truly realistic, it would be real. And. The games aren't. Until we even get proper VR we can get 3D models of a complete room and walk around in it. The map is not the territory. Right? There's the great bit, the Borges bit which is that if you made an actual authentic map of the Earth, it would be the Earth. It would be life-size. Right? So all maps have to leave stuff out. All portrayals have to leave stuff out to fit it on the page or to get it so that you're not distracted by all this other stuff in a room that I'm just going to interview androids in. And you go, no, no, no. We're just putting in the stuff that 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 you need to see to understand this room. But we have the luxury the cinema doesn't have that we can keep adding stuff to the room as we go. Um, so as we learn from other media, right, we can borrow language and effect, we can borrow structures, um, uh, uh, notions of pacing, even though we're often like describing sequences that take 20 minutes, it takes us an hour and a half to do them and a movie would be 20 minutes. Or we describe a, a trip that would take three weeks and we go, great, so when do you get to Madrid? Right, and so the pacing is all over the place, but it happens very intuitively. So even as we're borrowing all this stuff, We are constantly, implicitly, and actively making these uh, uh, changes to our custom and moving around different media, our lessons from different media, without worrying about it. But then when we inherit the notion that we have uh, uh, that you can't do this, you can't do that because this game is supposed to be cinematic, or you have to do it this way because this game is supposed to be not cinematic, we're inheriting certain packages of ideas that we can open up and take out ideas and put other ideas in. So we can say, like the example we we had before, television. If somebody says, "Well, that's that's not very cinematic," so if I, so you're saying that if I find a movie, any movie in which this takes place, I can do it, right? Because now it's cinematic. Cinema is huge, right? We're like, so what are novels like? What the hell, right? They're like every there's like there's a there's an endless supply of novels. Anything can happen in a novel. But when we say something is cinematic in an RPG, we almost never are talking about dinner with Andre, right? right? We're almost never talking about. Uh, uh, Time code or, or uh, movies that, they, that unfold in real time, but these are things that movies have tried. Almost, it's like, how do you do something in a single take in an RPG? You don't. The take, there's no camera. The take is not a relevant comparison, right? Everything is kind of done in a single take, and everything is kind of not done in a single take, but that would be absurd. Certain things don't migrate. When we're packaging stuff to migrate over to our thinking about how we portray it in the game, we, we want to be making the decision game by game, session by session, scene by scene, even maybe, how we are borrowing and where we're drawing those scenes. Because we can fold the film of Jaws and tear it in half so that we go, yeah, so we're going to play it. So it's going to be like Jaws, but it's just, this, it's just the stuff on the boat. It's just the, the stuff on the board at the end. The, actually, a great example of that there's a scene in Jaws where uh, a Roy Schneider's character, the sheriff, is he uh, boards a ferry with the intent of we're telling everybody that there is a murderous shark on the loose. And while he's on the, the little car ferry, uh, the mayor gets on board with him, and in the course of this ferry ride, as the ferry turns around and parks itself on the other end so that the cars can get off convinces Roy Scheider not to tell everybody about the shark because it would just cause mass panic and cause more trouble and Roy Scheider comes around so they got on the boat and it, cha- it it goes to its destination it travels through space and time to the same place it was going to go but it arrives backwards Right. so the whole thing is a metaphor for the scene that is going on anyway. It's dramatizing what's being dramatized in more than one way uh, and it's cool and it's a, it's one take more or less in Jaws but the fact that it's one take may, it means something in Jaws and is kind of uh, roughly analogous, we might say it in the, where we're just like, wow, we didn't need the dice or anything for that. We just played right through it, right? But those are not actually the same thing. So we, can, we don't owe anything to movies other than uh, uh, what we choose to thank them for. And we don't, uh, uh, we're not indebted to movies. We don't have to pay anything back. In the same way, we don't have to pay anything back to novels. We are our own uh, 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 pastime, our own hobby, and our own form. And I think we should freaking act like it. Um, simul- simultaneity is the big key to that. We're doing all this at once. We're doing it together. Um, I'm going to blow it through the last these because I lost some of the, the time on this with the machine. Um, uh, immersion is one of those things that, that vexes me to no end, and I'm, it's important. But when people talk about it, the immersion of being immersed in the job of being a game designer or being a writer or playing it either at the game table still counts as immersion. you are like, wow, I completely really lost track of time while we were while we were talking shop about whether or not the which characters know which what facts about which other characters. We weren't necessarily in character, and it wasn't one of those conversations where we just sat in the inn all night and had a conversation. That's great, too, but there's lots of kinds of immersion. Um, And so what we want to do is actually achieve flow, the bit where we're losing track of the outside world and are immersed in the pastime of our medium, not necessarily recreating what it feels like to read a novel about the character I made in D&D. Right? So pastime the, the flow that you can achieve in a game in an RPG is not necessarily the same as Oh, I totally just forgot I was reading a book and I just lost three hours to this right? And you can have an RPG session where if the GM or, or multiple players are helping that you do slip into that mode But that is still a borrow That is still something we are, we are, that is being lent to us from another medium For us, the, the, the unique medium that we have is the ability to shift from different kinds of flow To be like, I was totally my character and then I made a decision that my character would never make Right? and I didn't think about it, it all just happened it was all just popping, it was humming right? but we're not, we shouldn't be bound or constricted to it in that same way um, just as an example, so this is the, the, the final little closing slide but because now I have the, the image the one thing I wanted to show you is the uh, classic version, for example, of the dolly zoom in Jaws this is such a great example of the dolly zoom this is when the second shark attack happens on the beach and Moisheider sees it happening and realizes that essentially it is his fault because he didn't close the beaches because the mayor convinced him not to and it's just a great classic dolly zoom, and the camera is working, the soundtrack is doing its job, the actor is, is working, these are all multiple portrayals, they're all working together. But if I describe this at the game table, it has a completely different effect, because describing a dolly zoom has the opposite effect of seeing a dolly zoom. And one of the ways you can tell is there are movies that essentially describe their own dolly zooms. Some of these did it all the time, where they would zoom so fast through so far away, to like a, a, a rogue cop on the roof of a building, and you go, that's hilarious. And you can't tell if it was hilarious when they shot it or if it's hilarious now, right? But that's because not everything age is the same and the context is different. It's one thing to say, so we dolly zoom from space down to his mustache, quivering in fear. Well, that's hilarious, right? But uh, uh, if we actually just say, and the camera moves in as he realizes what, what's happened in the background, falls. describing a dolly zoom takes all the air out. Right? You can just say there's a, we dolly zoom into that and we have that common language to do that, and that's great. But even describing it can become indistinguishable from satirizing so, uh, when we're using those tricks, we want to think about not just references for, uh, the the, the example which is like, uh, so I had John McClain out the window. That helps some people and not others. If I haven't seen all the Die Hard movies or I don't know what it, what the verb means to John McClane, um, uh, uh, just a list of references becomes a skill game about how many of us can out-reference each other. Um, and that's not what the primary purpose, I think, of cinematic language is in actual play. So... That's basically the time. Uh, I have just a couple minutes for questions. There was one little thing I didn't cover, so I can fill that time if you want, but I thought I'd open up to see if anybody wants to bring up a subject. Yeah.
0: Uh, I had a thought when you were talking about um, composition for who. Yeah. I actually had a game not too long ago where, you know, essentially, because of the different players at the table and like the characters they had, it was almost like we had a John Woo, uh, an Indiana Jones, and a transporter movie oh. all going on at the same time right right was this a lunch wagon thing? yes yeah um, <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> sorry uh, so like those kind of things like what's your thought on like that sort of thing like is that is that useful is that like you're talking now about like you know if you make too many of these sort of references you know that can well cost. it's a different way to make a reference accessible is
1: to say it's like in Raiders and then <laughs> describe it a right and that'll just to describe what Raiders did but to be like you know, so I'm totally getting scratched up the whole time but I'm fine or whatever but to help people get into the reference rather than just kind of the reference to do all the work for you but I think having the multiple voices the multiple sounds especially way Shui right, which is like built specifically as an engine to take all these inputs from cinema and make them not destroy each other um, but is that uh, 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 that's completely legit especially when we realize it's happening all the time anyway right. because we have five different players and some of us have cast Harrison Ford and some of us have cast uh, Chawetalajia Ford and some of us have cast uh, 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 uh Tilda Swinton, in the same role, and we go, well, cool. It's not, it's not getting in the way yet right. until we have to settle on what color hair this person has or how tall they are. Don't worry about it, right? Um, that's just kind like, of, to me, a more extreme example of that same thing. Okay. Yeah, how. So with something like the dogs and a good example, do you think that we already have of a, and I'm not saying people vocabulary, it's obviously you can describe this quickly, but, but a vocabulary for gaming that. Allows you to describe that without it describing, without it. without being a reference to, exactly. and not just borrowing yeah, again. Yeah. The, the reference is we do think, at least in literary, so that would be a lot. And right, it's, it's hard to because it's such shorthand. Right, but you're right. The shorthand may be shortchanging us of some things that we will get out of not using that shorthand. And then you have a, an established vernacular and vocabulary for that, or is it something? We need I, I think, I think it will develop anyway and I think it's happening faster now that we are able to watch and comment on each other's play in a way that we couldn't even 5 and 10 years ago uh, I think we were slow to do it because we were doing a lot of borrowing from stuff because we weren't appreciating how RPGs can do the same stories or missions or adventures in different ways that other media could but I do think that active work in building that vocabulary is, is important, even if we do end up stealing all the terms. Video games steal terms for movies that don't mean do the same thing all the time or they do for cutscenes and then use it differently for levels but, like so pacing in a video game is something different than pacing in a movie yeah. but it's still the word pacing and it's still close enough, so I think we're going to end up with a lot of the same terms and we're already doing some of this But it carries different weight like, yeah, this, that fight was too slow well, a fight that's too slow in a James Bond movie is different than a fight that's too slow in Pathfinder right? or Feng Shui or D&D right. where like, that fight took almost four hours that's a little long i want going to be more like three on the other right, right, right hand no, in the right kind of game you could have a three hour fight that was exactly Right, exactly, right? Yeah. You could be like, yeah, no, that was a great, we had a great time, and that fight would have taken 12 minutes in the movie. And who cares? We weren't making the movie. We still succeeded, right? Um, But I do think there's more active work to be done in clarifying, not just for ourselves, but for each other, what we mean when we're saying something is or isn't cinematic. This game is cinematic, or, because I think it's interesting, we don't say prosaic much. We don't say this game is like a novel. We might say it's like a TV series, but there's so many things that we're stealing from all the time that we're not drawing attention to. And I think the more alert we are to that, the more the better we're going to get to do it. Is there another question? Cool. I'm going to try to do the thing where I don't um, run the room right to the end of it, because that's always an issue. So see if we can keep a little catch up. But the last thing that I wanted to uh, uh, mention here, since I've got the, the brief window for it, is the, um, uh, uh, the aspect and similarly to like feng shui and stuff, the, the, the give and take, the tolerance that a game has, and its, and it's pliability. Um, uh, we can get into a lot more about how to design for these different spaces, but to me the playcraft is also an important part of it. And so I just wanted to single out some of this as the notion that how we play um, and what we bring from game to game, and whether the fact that we, we may play two different cinematic RPGs very differently, um, is great, because I think the fact that d can be played cinematically or non-cinematically, that feng shui can be played gritty or completely hilarious, right? Or, or a single story can start off one way, drift into the other, and come back. Um, these are strengths that we have, in part because we don't have to market our stories after the fact. Um, so this, that's part of the simultaneity, the fact that we are doing it all in real time and it actually doesn't create an artifact in the same way. That's, that's a luxury. That's a, that's a great benefit that we have. So let's embrace that. And thank you very much for coming.